This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. You're listening to Hear Us Say with Renisha on Otago Access Radio at 105.4 FM Dunedin. everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in into um, another episode of Hear Us Say. Um, we are still in lockdown, so I'm doing this over Zoom. For any difficult, uh, te- technical difficulties, please, um, I beg your pardon. Today, I have the very lovely Abhichinaya with me today, joining us from Auckland. Um, she is an amazing individual that I highly, highly um, admire. I'm just going to let her introduce herself real quick, and then we'll get into the today's episode. Abhi, all yours. Kia ora. My name is Abi Chanaya, and I am a portrait photographer and marketer based in Auckland. My debut photographic series, Light Skin, Dark Skin, explored the journeys people have to take as a result of the color of their skin. My ongoing photographic work celebrates the diverse cultures existing in Aotearoa. Drawing from my lived experiences, I use portraiture to elevate marginalized voices, women of color, migrant communities, explore colorism, and everything in between. Oh my God. <laughs> when you speak, I'm sorry, I'm just a big fan. So whenever you speak, it's just like listening to some spoken word or like a nice poem. And I'm so like utterly grateful for you to like reaching out and saying that I really want to be on your podcast. Like this is this is what I want. This is and thank you. Thank you for joining me in today. Like it's a pleasure and a privilege. I know we have had a like a little bit of chat before this, but like I just can't I just can't say enough of how grateful. I am to have women of color reach out and say sister I want to I want to be on your show I want to have a chat and I want to have a yarn and this is like this is what I dream of this is what I yarn of so thank you so much for joining me today I think you're you're maybe my best one so far <laughs> if I oh, can say that <laughs> oh. no I love your podcast I've listened to all three episodes and I just loved it so I've been following your work for a while now and I thought I really want to reach out to her yeah be on her podcast and support her however much I can so thank you for having me on yeah um and just briefly touching on your um exhibition um you know you have done an incredible work with um empowering and highlighting women of color um and that's again like I said you know something that I just admire so much when people get out there and do it so thank you thank you for um being that person who opens up space for other people so yeah yeah I'm sorry I'm just gonna stop I'm just gonna stop <laughs> blubbering around and get into the episode of today so um before we started recording we kind of picked up some of the question like I mentioned this is over zoom so it's kind of hard I really like to do it in person I'm more like that kind of a person when I'm um, connecting or networking but since we're doing it over zoom um Abby and I have briefly chat about what are some of the questions that we would like to talking to um and the format of the show you guys know it but i'll say it again it's um 
three based on three levels developed by the card of uh, Arataiohi, so the mosaic cards. We look at um, personal level, exploring what are your personal values and beliefs going into the interpersonal level, where we look at how these um, personal values and beliefs from personal level has interpreted or become one-to-one conversation with someone else. And then from interpersonal levels, how do they shape the um, the language and the opinions of our society as a whole. So the very first question that I have today um, that I really want to explore with um, Avi is, when have you changed your mind about something that you were passionate about? And then again, this question is kind of like into sub-questions as well, distributed into sub-questions, so it probably helps us better unpack the whole big one. Um, So starting off with one of the sub-questions, what or who influenced you to support this change? Or like, um, how do you feel about people who still hold your previous views? Maybe we'll talk about one specific view, if that makes sense. So I was doing something completely different to what I'm doing now. Yeah. When I said marketer in my introduction, I was working in marketing. I have a degree in marketing, and that dominated most of my 20s. Wow. And in photography had always kind of been in my life. Like when I was a teenager, my dad got me a Sony point and shoot, and I still have really awful portraits I took of my beautiful friends and like orange lighting. It just looked terrible. I didn't realize it was kind of what I really felt passionate about. Mm-hmm. I think because it wasn't, if I told my parents I wanted to be a photographer, they would have just, I don't know what they would have done. They would have kicked me out probably. So I was between jobs. This would have been six years ago now. And I picked up a camera. My partner does some photography and he has a good camera. I picked it up and I took my friend out to Tehinga, took some portraits of her and thought, ooh, okay, this feels right. And then I just have done it ever since. So the theme of my work also has evolved and changed quite drastically to what it was initially. Mm -hmm. I went from what I would call just taking portraits into doing something that is extremely meaningful Mm -hmm. And that was influenced by a few negative experiences I had had in my life Mm -hmm. that brought back a lot of the trauma I'd had growing up. And that would have been around colorism, Mm -hmm. racism, and also the hurdles my father faced coming in as a migrant to New Zealand. Mm. So all of this kind of came together And I had to unpack it somehow. And I've always been one to want to share my platform. So if I have an opportunity, I want other people to come in the mix too and have their say. That's really important to me. And that's why most of my work, you have the women that I photograph also having a very prominent voice in the series. So, yeah, all of that just kind of came together and light skin, dark skin happened, and now a migrant's path. So, yeah, I couldn't pinpoint one particular influence, but just all these overall experiences. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, yeah, you pointed a couple of very good points. Firstly, it's like that sometimes it's not just about that one experience or one influence that you had. It's about the lifelong worth of journey that you have that sort of like shapes you the way you are and then builds onto the values and belief that shape into your worldviews ultimately or like make you um, or change how your mind used to work before and now it does, you know, you talked about your marketing career. Um, and while it was something you did, it didn't necessarily feel as right as photography did to you. So um, so let's unpack, I guess, light skin, dark skin a little bit more. Let me, let me know about, because this is something from what I've seen, you're quite passionate about this um, whole um, light skin, dark skin series. Let, let the, let our audience know, brag about it so that these guys can also go out there and find it where it is. So light skin, dark skin, it followed the stories of seven women and their experiences with colorism in New Zealand. Um, it kicked off with my story and how colorism has played a really big role in my life. So I was born in Christchurch and then spent over a decade in Malaysia. So my growing up years were in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. In Christchurch, I was made fun of for being a blackie, yeah. you know, just dirty. And my skin color was really pointed out to me from a young age. And then growing up in Malaysia, going into a community where I was actively given light skin, like um, skin lightening products. Yeah. Um, that sent a very clear message to me that I wasn't good enough. Yeah. So that's why lights and and so, you know, it's such a big thing for me because when I decided to do it and I wanted all of these women in it with me, it was just amazing the experiences that we all shared, but we all had very different upbringings and lives. Yeah. But the commonality there was that we were all made to feel other. A lot of us were given skin lightening creams. We'd all had some form of discrimination and racism in New Zealand. And um, yeah, so does that answer the question? <laughs> no, it does. And and to be honest, these questions, honestly, are just there to navigate your way around. What I'm really interested in is who you are as a person. <laughs> who cares about the question? These are just starting points. And, you know, as soon as like, as because I asked you about light skin and dark skin and what it is and why our audience should be engaging with it and I think you clearly delivered the message of the concept of not feeling good enough because you are to be perceived in a certain way or you need to be in a certain way to be perfect or to be good enough as as something that I personally have struggled with so whenever whenever someone sits there and tells me their story of how they have struggled with accepting their own skin tone their own skin color or themselves as an individual I relate it to the core of it because growing up you know colorism is something that I've been exposed to um to extreme levels you know you've been into I get introduced or I was introduced to skin whitening products that were no good to my skin I was also told to use fair and lovely I don't care if there's a brand (laughs) if their brand is watching this podcast or whatever um but fair and lovely is something that if I didn't put on it felt like I can't go in the community because everyone's gonna ask me why didn't you put it on um 
and you know your own family members the people that you are meant to feel safe connected um accepted by you feel judged because you're for certain skin color um and i think i've mentioned it to you before that my closet was never um never had any um light or sorry dark colored clothes because i needed to wear light skin uh light Clo- uh, like colored clothes to make my skin look lighter um ultimately that was the understanding in my in my village in my whanau back in Fiji um and you know while I'm glad that I accept my skin of who it is and I carried with pride um because of the history of Gilmer that I come from but at the same time my people back in the country especially young girls to be honest are still exposed to this discrimination to the core of it at the moment um and when i say work like you was being done it just gives me hope that there's a resource available for our young girls to look to and say that these are the journey of women who also correlate or like um that we relate to and this is how they maybe not overcame but they've lived through it and they've become if not more stronger more resilient to what they were before so yeah yeah when you talk about light skin dark skin i'm just in awe and i'm just like oh my god this is something this is something that i should be engaging with more to be honestly um and just being aware of there are exhibitions there are research ultimately i call any work that in- includes um different people come together i call it research because it takes energy it takes effort um to get or to correlate some data that people find really useful so thank you for thank you for doing that um it's amazing to see how far you have come in that journey as well you know briefly you talked about your marketing career now you're talking about your exhibition i think it's a long journey it's two different vast um vast places but when you come together you're like yeah that makes sense if i hadn't gone through that i wouldn't have realized the importance of this um yeah i i do wish that I had tacked on a bit earlier mm. and I, it didn't have to take me this long to get yeah. actually doing the work that I'm doing now. I was kind of thinking, where was I in my early twenties? What was I doing? <laughs> and I, I, it just, I was just really slow on the uptake. It didn't hit me until much yeah. later. And I just thought, I feel like I've wasted all these years and I could have been doing this and I wasn't. So that's yeah. also been, it's, it's felt like, I just, yeah, there's a kind of feeling of guilt that comes with it because I feel like I could have done more earlier. Mm. But I'm glad that I'm doing it now, better late than never. Yeah. um, Again, yeah, that's really, that's really right of you to say that better late than never. Um, Because a lot of the time, like, and you'll be surprised, like, I engage with communities where people are in, like, accounting, they're doing investments, and they don't necessarily have time to engage with the community and, you know, do what they love doing, which is actually advocacy. Um, and they go, like, oh, I'm stuck in this. I'm just so, I'm just so scared to leave this and, you know, do what I actually want to do. So when I, um, when you speak of your story, I think, um, what are you doing is empowering other people who probably are stuck in that same situation to say like, oh, actually, I can do this on the part time as well. It's something that I, you know, it's it's kind of like realistic expectation that you give people. Not everyone has got to figure out from the very beginning now, do they? You know, it takes a long time. And like I said, life is a 
long journey that you kind of have to figure out while you're at it. You can't have it planned because life is never going to go as you planned it to go. Um, so, yeah. And, and uh, one thing that, you know, it's quite interesting because you pointed out guilt here. Um, with me personally, uh, you know, there's one thing that I call guilt and something I call with gratitude. And uh, I don't, feel guilty about anything that I do in life either um, just because I know um, that whatever I have done um, has impacted someone in a, in a positive way. So I hold that with gratitude. I think, you know, while you feel guilty, a lot of people will look up to you and say, she's a badass woman who has um, decided and realized where she should be and has taken up that liberty, taken up that big step of changing it. And I think for some people, you'll be a role model. So don't hold it with guilt. Hold it with wow, gratitude. Wow, that's a teachable moment. I will yes. take that. <laughs> <laughs> well i hope i'll hope and i don't expect you to take anything though um you're incredible on your own <laughs> um okay so that was the first question done i'm just looking at the time i think we have um we have a little bit of time to go into the second question um and it's talking about how do you describe your own race um, mind you we're still on the personal level this is just the second question that we are asking for our listeners to be aware of um so how do you describe your own race um and if i get into the sub questions the first question talks about what has shaped your view about your own race and i think it kind of correlates with the um concept of our experience and lived journey that we have and you've talked about colorism so it kind of inter intertwines with each other but um other than that do you do you have any other perspective about like how do you describe your own race or your um i'll just broaden it up and say race ethnicity or the um upbringing that you come from for sure so my newest line of photographic work it's an exhibition called migrants path yeah and the ministry of ethnic communities has been really really helpful with getting this exhibition off the ground mm-hmm. um because of them and their help this exhibition will be traveling the country over the course of the next year it's on the list it is on the list but this lockdown has had kind of a domino effect on all the other shows and now I'm kind of waiting to see whether all the shows will get to the destinations in time hopefully yeah Yeah. but my new exhibition is called a migrant's path and it is a deeper exploration of my photographic work it's a celebration of heritage and women Mm-hmm. And I think sitting above all of this, it's an ongoing search for identity and belonging. Wow. So I was thinking about, especially in the time of COVID, because my parents live in Malaysia, so I am separated from my immediate family. Mm-hmm. And all of these feelings have just been amplified since the start of the pandemic because they have felt further away from me than any other time in my life. And our migration story was particularly interesting to me because my paternal grandfather left Jaffna, Sri Lanka, for what was at the time called Malaya in 1919. And he went back to Jaffna, got married, came back to Malaya. And then many moons later in the 70s, my father moved to Christchurch, New Zealand in search of opportunity and just a better life mm-hmm. than what he was getting in Malaysia at the time. Mm-hmm. And then he went back. 
went back to Malaysia and then he never came back. But I lived here and I've settled down here. So that was quite quite a lot of movement in my family that took particular interest to me. And how this comes into what I feel my ethnicity and race is has been quite confused because being born here, but also being Sri Lankan, mm. having been living in Malaysia for over a hundred years, yeah. the generations in my family, that's confusing because Malaysia is a beautiful country, but it also has a lot of issues with racism and quite an imbalance in equality mm. because we are minorities in Malaysia. Yeah. I kind of feel like generations, we've all just been looking for belonging and not really finding it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been quite difficult to identify with where it is exactly that I belong to. Mm-hmm. And then once again, when I went to the women that have been part of this series and I posed the question to them, what is your migrant's path and how do you keep your culture alive? And the essays that came back were just phenomenal. So you've got 14 women and nine stories. For instance, you have Soph, a fifth-generation Kiwi, who still gets asked where she came from. We've got Neelam, who explores her Fijian Indian culture and how she keeps that alive in Aotearoa. Mm-hmm. And Shaili, who felt most at home coming off a rescue flight from, her, from India at the start of our COVID-19 pandemic. So... You put that all together and that's a lot of people searching for belonging and yeah. what we are as people. Yeah. And that's a really tough question to answer. Yeah. And I yeah. still, even after doing this series, I don't really know where it is that I belong. Yeah. Because yeah. I haven't really felt like I belong in Kiwi culture. Yeah. But then having gone back as a kid to Malaysia yeah. with a full-blown accent and I didn't speak Malay when I went back. So people were like, Where, what is this alien? Where has she come from? Because I grew up in the East Coast of Malaysia. I went to public school. So I was just completely thrown into the mix. Yeah. So where where am I, you know? Yeah. So that's been a really tough topic to navigate for me personally. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> So another exhibition that I can fangirl of, but let's get into a little bit of detail about your exhibition and like, um, so you talked about you have a Fijian Indian um, Neelam, if you, if I got her name right. Yeah, Neelam. Okay, so I don't know this person, but I really want to encourage her that, sister, go you! Um, yeah, because, um, yeah, you raised quite a few um um, points there that I really want to also highlight and agree with is the fact that we want to talk about race, ethnicity, our background, but how do we do that feeling authentic enough if we don't know what our identity is at the moment? Um, this is something that I've been um, struggling since I come to New Zealand, to be honest, because in Fiji there's no division that I am I'm not a Fijian, you know, they, I'm still part of the community. It's the majority. We are the majority there. But when you come outside of that country, when I have settled in New Zealand, what I realized is that I'm apparently not a Fijian. I am um, an Indian 
that has never been to India, not for just 100 years, but more than that. I mean, it's uh, something that I have to carry with myself and I call myself a product of double colonization. Um, you know, our people in India, like my ancestors, Girmatians, um, in India were taken away from the land to overcome famish that was going on there under the British um, Samraj. There was... Um, no opportunities of growing land was being taken away because construction was happening of the British Samraj. So people from the land in India were taken, Girmatians were signed a contract and they were taken to Fiji to become indentured labourers there. But how they were taken there is a mystery. What and how they were treated there is still a mystery. You know, some of um, some of our um, elders from the community say that our women were raped that our men were beaten up whenever they didn't perform the duty that they should be, which was going out in the summer and um, in the hot sun and working. And if you're not doing well, you get whipped. So these are the stories that has been passed down um, from the generations before us. And if it is true to even one point, because there's no research, there's nothing, there's not much work done um, in terms of putting more effort in my, um, in my, um, I guess, my background. So, if even a single point of it is true, my heart reaches out to my ancestors. It reaches out to the Girmit. You know, we were colonized in India and then we were brought to Fiji and we were colonized again. So this is why I call myself a um, product of double colonization. I don't know which part of India I come from. I don't know um, how my ancestors looked like or what their life looked like at all. And I say this um, because, you know, a lot of the time in the Kiwi culture, what happens is when you go with your with your mate or when you sit down is they talk about how their um, great-grandfather so, served as a, as a veteran or um, was a farmer or was a businessman or was a counsellor or was a... Um, I don't know whatever they were, but when I want to think about mine, there's nothing. There's emptiness. There's there's oh my god, there's nothing to hold on to. That this has been my ancestors. I don't know how they looked like. I don't know how they talked like. I don't know how how they lived their lives. There's nothing. We are left with nothing. We're literally left with nothing, and we are just left to. To battle our own people to find who we identify as. So I don't, I don't, I don't know how to describe my race. I don't know how to describe my ethnicity. And you know, whenever, whenever I get the question on an application form or on a um, visa form that please take your take the ethnicities relevant to you, I don't know which one to take. I don't feel Indian enough to say I'm Asian, and I don't feel. And I used to feel that I'm a Pacifica, but people have made me feel, again, not enough to be a Pacifica. So I am quite conscious of, take that, of ticking that box as well. There has been so many times where I've just had to go other. And then what is the other? And then I'm like, Malaysian. But even putting that in, I'm like, am I? But then we've been in Malaysia for so long, I guess it's a huge part of my identity. So. Yeah. I would identify more as Malaysian, but that is changing now having lived in New Zealand for longer, nearly longer than I was actually in Malaysia at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So that identity is quickly shifting. It's always fluid and it's evolving, I'd say. Yeah. 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 So I, I know it's, 
for me, it's daunting and I'm scared for my children in the future. Like, I don't, I don't want them to feel not part of a community that they should be feeling part of. Um, and uh, I was going to say something else, but I forgot. Um, the only thing that I ever saw and, you know, my, um, I had goosebumps when I saw it was when I was in Fiji. I went to the Fijian Museum and they had some of our government um, things preserved there. So, um, and one thing I resonated was is the nut, so the nose ring. So our women um, always used to wear a nose ring and that's why our girls and our young women also get pierced is to carry that. So this is the only thing of my ancestors that I have. And while this is beautiful, I'm like, why do I only have this, you know? Um, yeah, so I'm sorry, I just got sucked into my ancestry again, but it's it's something, yeah, that I've been struggling with. Anyway. It ties into what I am doing, though, everything you have said, because yeah. what I want to do as well is raise that awareness about the different cultures that are existing in Aotearoa. So we can all have a sense of belonging, which I think is important. Yeah. And yeah. feel like that we are part of this community. Yeah. And open up opportunities to learn more about ourselves and open the door, I guess, in a way for our future generations. Yeah. Should they grow up yeah. in this country. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. And kudos to you again for doing that. <laughs> I'm just going to move to the second question because we, we got a little bit – um sucked in into that or I got I don't know <laughs> but it was um, it was really really nice to um talk about that so we're moving on to the interpersonal level now um and the question that I have on me is like what do you think of trolling and then you know within trolling um the question the sub questions are what do you think the motivation of a troll is and then to further what effect of a trolling is on others COVID has really, really brought out the worst <laughs> of the trolls. Yeah. I've had to consciously avoid looking at the comment section in this lockdown because of just the hate that people fuel into their comments online. I don't, I just think, is it easier when you are hiding behind a profile and no one knows who you are? To get out all of your pent up hate that you have maybe for what's going on in the world, or you're just so angry and upset that you feel like you need to hurt other people. Mm. Just think I think a waste of time. Yeah, I think um, I had this conversation in my last episode with um, Niranjan, if I'm not wrong, and then we were talking about like what motivates people, you know, to to write a comment that they probably won't say in person, and is it like something that they get encouraged behind the scene because there's no one to judge them or whatever? Um, and and one thing that he pointed out was the fact that the mentality that made them do or write that comment exist in their head regardless of how whether you know whether you want to acknowledge it or not it's just that um hiding behind a um, camera or hiding behind a mobile phone or a device has become an easier way to say it out because these people will never say that on your face they don't have the they don't have the guts to say that and they know that it's wrong but they need to vent out that energy out of them so they do it um, but hiding behind the scene but that's my point of view and what we kind of discussed so yeah I've literally wondered how many people I interact with on the daily that are trolls 
Because you never know. Surely you would have come across someone that you may even know who would sit online behind a hidden profile and tell people the meanest things. But having in all of my jobs, because it's always actively had to do with social media or digital marketing, Mm. countless times I have had to hide comments or ban people from Mm. just saying the most mean things they could even possibly think of. And it's never from a profile where you can actually see who they are. (laughs) And that is just, you're just a coward. If you're going to just, oh, I don't, it would get me so angry just thinking about it and talking about it. But surely you can channel your energy into something more productive that can actually help a community versus playing into someone's mental health and making them feel bad about something and just saying such mean things. How does that make you feel better? Is it just like an immediate gratification that you get from being mean to someone and then moving on? I would have nightmares if I left such nasty comments, if I thought I was just like an armchair expert who knew something about everything. But it's also the bubbles that we live in online because you often are what plays into your thoughts and your beliefs Mm -hmm. is what you're being advertised. It's what you're seeing pop up on social media. Often, if you don't want to have a wider worldview, you won't. And you will only be friends with people who have the same opinion as you do and think the way you do, which I think you should actually branch out and expose yourself to all walks of life. But when you are living in that bubble Mm -hmm. and you don't see the repercussions of your actions, then maybe, yeah, you do become a troll and you think it's okay to go online and tell people to do things to themselves that are just unthinkable and nasty to be quite frank with you wow yeah um I think yeah what do you whatever you said is quite true um and that's true and that's in the most realist sense like people people like to do it because because <laughs> because <laughs> and just I, I don't know maybe you have fatigue from a lockdown yeah and you're tired of the pandemic so uh, yeah I know I know but I wouldn't like I personally um wouldn't give that a slide or wouldn't let that slide. Like if you think, you know, lockdown fatigue is something that should get you online and troll, I think all of us can do that as well and, you know, get into our online war, whatever that would be. I don't think so. It's a, it's a choice that you've made and it's a choice that, um, that has hurt people. Um, as an ambassador, you know, for Shakti, um, I've been exposed to media since, 2015 or 16 something like that I mean I've done a couple of interviews um initially you know I was like okay I'm going to be telling my story and I was very scared that I will get trolled and that's why I was quite reserved about telling my story and I was right was I right yes I was right um the very basic things that I got was go back to your country where you came from. This is not a place for you. If you don't like it, um, whatever, whatever, um, you're just going to be here. You're going to get onto the government pension. You're going to be a liability on us, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, it looks like you don't even know me, but you've got my life figure out for me. It's, it's that kind of, you know, these people are so... I don't want to say, but stuck up that they that they plan your life out for you um, without acknowledging the struggles that you come from. Like, mind you, my story wasn't even about like um, pointing out that someone's bad. It was just saying that I've experienced this, um, and it was like, if you've experienced this, then go back to your country. 
which doesn't make sense to me because if this something happened like this, something happened to their own kid, they'll be on the street. They'll be furious with the government. They'll be furious with the system. Hmm. So That's I'm a go-to talking. comment, isn't it? Yeah. Just yeah. go home. Yeah. Yeah. I've had that said to me too. Just yeah. And then building further onto that, you know, when I started doing um, um, events around rape culture, forced marriage, another notation that came in was like um, anti-feminist, um, you know, point of views and my trolls. And and those anti-feminist point of views, and, you, and you're quite right when you say, you know, rather use your energy to give back to the community, right? Um, and I was like, if you really wanted to speak on behalf of men, why are you doing it on my comment section when I'm advocating for women? Go out in the community, join an organization or create your own, empower men. We have a high suicide rate for our men in this country. Do something about that if you're really, really worried about men activism. You know, and then I just wish that I had the capacity to get onto those trolls and tell them what to do, <laughs> just like they try to to me. But I feel like at the end of the day, it's not productive. It just sucks the energy out of you. Exactly. And I've just learned. I'm someone, if you tell me to do something, I'm going to do it. But if you tell me not to do it, I'm going to do it more. So if you tell me that go don't go on the trollings, I, I do that. So um. And I've learned it the hard way not to press the comment button because um, it really sucks the energy out of you. I used to engage way back when because I think the internet took a turning point probably like in the early 2000s where yeah. media were moving onto online pl- platforms and yeah. comment sections were opening up. Yeah. And I think it all started because I was watching a documentary on this and it all started quite, it was okay and not too bad. And then yeah. suddenly, all of the trolls came in. Yeah. And then troll, the word troll actually became a term. Yeah. People who bully other people online hiding behind uh, a, like an online mask, we'll yeah. say. You know? Yeah. And it's just when I used to engage with these comments and I'd have really long replies back about why it was wrong, but a lot of these people are coming online to be mean. Some of them just want to stir the pot. So if you if they get a reaction out of you, they've succeeded. So that's definitely, yeah, it's just, like you said, it's really just not productive engaging with trolls and I wish they would go away, but they won't. Yeah, I've just given, I just, like, I just know that even if I, um, even if I try to do um, any sort of engagement, you know, it's, it's firstly, it's not productive and secondly, um, it's, preventing me from being um productive and also like encouraging our young people who look up to you to do the do the same into getting engaged and that's not good for them either um so unfortunately it's I had really to learn bad. it in a hard way you know you want to take care of your mental health and yeah that's yeah the most important thing yeah so yeah if that means not engaging with the comment section then just don't turn it yeah. off yeah I see a lot of people doing that now they just turn it off yeah I think, um, you know, burnout is something that I'm quite familiar with, especially in the space of activism. You get burnout quite often um, here and there. Um, And I'd say half of my um, burnout is because of these comments, um, because of these trollings that I've gone through, I've seen. So um, it's kind of, it's annoying, but at the same time, like you said, it's really important to take care of your mental health because at the end of the day, if that's not good, then you're not good to anyone else. Um, 
So, you know, I'd, I'd say I, I rather not engage with it. And its effect can be quite bad as causing you depression, to be honest, um, and ending you up in a counsellor's room, which you which you wouldn't be into if you didn't engage with these people. So it's not worth your while. Um, at least that's for me personally. But yeah, that's the interpersonal question done. I didn't realize the time. It's going so quick. It is. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, we have just, how much time do we have? Another um, 20-ish minutes, I believe. Yep. Yep. Um, I really want to like tap into the second question that I had um, for us in the interpersonal level as well, which was about what racial stereotypes are you aware of? Yeah. So anything and everything about it real quick, and then we'll move on to the societal level. The first thing that comes to my head when you asked me that question was the term curry mancha. Uh, <laughs> tell me about it. But just looping back to the start of this episode where I talked about how I had a few negative experiences that led to light skin, dark skin, yep. and how my photography changed from just portraits into documentary style telling stories of women. Mm. So I was at a barbecue and there was an older gentleman there oh. who for some reason... I knew was kind of targeting me with some of the things he was saying. He was talking quite negatively about Indian communities and um, making fun of the cuisine and all of that. I was very, very uncomfortable. Mm. Unfortunately, I didn't feel like I had any support around that table. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. the conversation quickly turned because I couldn't keep my patience. Yeah. And I kind of fought back a little bit what he was saying but no one really helped I was very upset about that and eventually in the night when he left he yelled over my head bye curry muncha and then left no one at that table did anything including my partner by the way who I was really upset with so I went home and couldn't sleep that night and the morning after I was talking to a friend I called him similar um cultural background to me and I just started bawling on the phone because I said I was so uncomfortable I think it just brought up a lot of, it was like quite triggering for me what I had experienced with the dialogue that was going on and the lack of support from anyone who knew what they were talking about was wrong, but just still chose to not back me up or say anything. Wow. So I just cried and cried and cried. And he said, look, he said, stuff like this is going to happen. And he said, I'm really, really sorry. No one felt like they could say anything to help you or kind of back you up. And um, that was pretty much it. But it was so upsetting because just that term curry muncha is a stereotype. Two words that carry so much meaning and how it hurt me. So that's one of the things that I can think of as a stereotype that was really, really upsetting. Wow. Wow. Oh, my God. Let me just absorb that. Because you, you hear that, you know, um, Karim Mancha is a stereotype, 
but never do you once um never do you once i guess a lot of us or some of us don't experience experience it in real life when we hear of someone else's story quite relevant you're like oh my god and that's how i'm feeling right now cuz i come from um a school in south auckland and south auckland is quite diverse in terms of the people they have and the fijian indian population is quite huge there um and curry mancha is a word that gets chugged around papatoi high the school that i've been to is known for being curry munches um and never have a once encountered this word in school and that's quite interesting is because you know that you have a community that's going to back you up if someone says that word to you but outside of our school we had that reputation of being called a curry muncher because there's a whole lot of um Fijian um Fijian and in students but when i unpacked that you know that story of being a curry muncher and you know if people are going to call me curry muncher then call me i'm going to carry it with pride because it's the curry that has made me who I am today it's the curry that you run after when you want to um you know try indian cuisine it's the curry that my it's it's the curry that my friends you know crave because their sandwich is not what is enough for them and they want to see what is in my dish so i care with that product please so if you call me a curry muncher if i am one what are you going to do about it i wish i had had that at that point in my life i think now if i would have fought back a lot more than i did yeah at that barbecue table yeah but and there were times in my life for instance wanting to fit in where at a restaurant if curry's on the menu and i really really want it but i'm the only brown person at the table i don't order it because i don't i didn't want that perception mm. and i looking back now i just think that was ridiculous and now i if there's curry on the menu yeah i'll you know do it yeah but even still sometimes now when i have people say to me like oh you must want that curry or Oh yeah, we've got this on the menu and it's something of Indian cuisine and I'm like actually I just want the bolognese, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Why did you make that assumption that I would want that? Hello. Or like we were at um the Hamilton Gardens last Christmas and this guy was walking behind me. He looked at me and then he looked at his wife and he said I really want naan for lunch. I Yes. I was like, what? I just laughed cuz it was just so ridiculous. <laughs> I know, yeah. You know this one time I went to this um this anniversary, right? It was um it was quite quite white orientated so there were like a lot of white people on the table and uh, um at that time my knife and fork skills weren't the best um and this was when i was in high school cuz you know i eat with my hands the the only cutlery i ever use is a spoon to eat ice cream or snacks or whatever that is otherwise it's always your hands and it's it's just your way of telling your mom that this is delicious and i don't need like you know um So yeah, I wasn't I wasn't quite up to scratch with my cutlery skills at that time and then I attended this dinner and like I had food in front of me and I was um I was kind of struggling, you know, with having my food. And this white man um who s- sat beside me, he was apparently observing me um and he was like um so you've never had food with fork and knife before? <laughs> 
And I'm like, uh, I have, but I'm not quite scratched. I was like, ah, you should go to more restaurants then, eat food. Um, and, you know, try to learn. There's videos. You guys are youngsters now. There's so much more videos on YouTube and blah, 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 to teach you how to eat and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, and I was so embarrassed at the time. And I didn't correct him. You know, it's like before knife and forks were invented, how did you eat your food? How did your ancestors eat your food? You know, I wanted to ask the question, but I was so like embarrassed because he said it quite loudly and uh, quite a few people on the table heard it. Um, and I was just sitting there and I was like, oh my God, I don't want to be here anymore. Um, and mind you, he was quite old in age and I would say a person with a lot of experience and a person who should be aware of how to be a little bit more humble um and have humility in them and they didn't they didn't show that didn't show that um on the table and I was like this is while this is embarrassing this is also a learning lesson that age is not <laughs> an indication of your maturity or your um <laughs> And it's of a generation, I think, yeah. as well, that would have that. Yeah. But another stereotype that would have to do with skin color, for instance, in Malaysia, is the view that if you have dark skin, then you are a gangster. Oh, wow. You're dangerous. And because my father is dark skin, people always thought he looked really scary. I mean, yeah. he's my, yeah. I love him. Like, he's my teddy bear. Yeah. But. Yeah. Also, my best friend, who is dark-skinned, long hair, he's an activist. Oh, wow. Um, and we had been talking about his experiences overseas and how, for instance, going through an airport where all of his activist friends would get through, but they would stop him and do the full scan and things like that because they thought he looked dodgy or you know mm. dangerous. Yeah. And even in Malaysia, when people would see him suddenly they would be like clutching their bags and locking the doors and and I have seen this firsthand being with him but yep. even the same when I was once coming through um I think it was Melbourne or Sydney maybe yeah and I always see different worldviews because my partner is white yeah very interesting how he's treated and how I'm treated so we were together at this airport they look at him they look at me and then the guy was like, you come through the full scan. You know, the scanning thing where the whole, like it spins and it's all quite scary in there. It's like yeah. a vacuum. I literally asked after I came out of this, that scan, I was like, did you pick me because of the color of my skin? And the guy was like, oh, uh. <laughs> it's like, it's random selection. <laughs> I was like, whatever. Standing off to the side, being like, "Oh no, don't do this. <laughs> we need to catch our flight. Don't get arrested." But it's true. That is a stereotype. If you yeah. look at a dark skin tone, some people think you're, you know, yeah, dodgy. <laughs> That's not so. true at all. Oh my god! Oh That's my another god. one. Yeah, it always grinds me. Wow. <laughs> Some of them are ridiculous now that I think about it. And I guess like how how we react to it at times, especially when you're caught up in the moment, you know, you have so much like of wisdom of like things that you want to do if you were to be in the situation. But when you are in the situation, you're like, is this really happening? Like that kind of narrative comes in and could ask for you for calling it out and getting in this space. 
you have like you think about in mainstream media comedians like for instance russell peters who's made millions off um comedy on stereotypes yeah which i used to engage with and find the funniest thing in the world but now doing the work that i'm doing i like to remove myself from that yeah because i don't want to judge someone based on a stereotype i just think that's really inaccurate yeah that's so true I'm just realizing that we are 11, 23, and I believe we started at 10, 30-ish. So we just have, I guess. Should I get my quote in? Yeah, we didn't even touch the societal level because we got into, um, okay, really quickly. Um, so we're going to finish the show in, I guess, five minutes. Um, but really quickly, if you could change one thing in your community, what would it be? What would it be? More cultural awareness. Yeah, cultural I think the cultural landscape in New Zealand is changing yeah. from what it was. Yeah. And we need to have more awareness of all the cultures that are existing in this country and yeah. they call it one. That yeah. would be my answer to that. Yeah. Again, mine's quite similar, you know, cultural competence, especially um, having more of like a holistic approach to a lot of structures that we have rather than just, you know, concrete, because I think that um, that kind of removes the bias as well as makes room for more cultural competence practice, especially in our counselling, our therapy, having it for brown people, those kind of things. So, yeah, that's and my one thing. Word, Ranisha, about pronouncing names correctly as well. Yeah. We need yeah. to get around to that. Like, for instance, my full name is Abirami Kanagalingam. Yeah. Mouthful. Yeah. Always people always get it wrong. Yeah. 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 My name's Ranisha Shivagni. Chanda Shivagni is always mugged up, so I don't even use it anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's why I go by Abi Chanaya. And still Abby, people call me Abby. Yeah. Which I'm kind of used to, but preference is Abby. Yeah. Yeah. Sure thing. Okay. Let's bring in your quote. All right. I had one prepared for this episode. <laughs> so it's a quote by Maya Angelou. Oh, I love it. You may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lines. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still, like dust, I'll rise. I'm a sucker for quotes. <laughs> Let me just absorb that right now. Let me just absorb that. See, my language is getting tongue-tied at this point. <laughs> I just love that quote. I think it represents... A lot yeah. of our communities where yeah. we have had no control over our history and what happens to us. Yeah. But now we advocate and we raise awareness and we talk about these experiences to make yeah. a better world. Yeah, I love that quote. Really good one. Yeah. Also highlighting the fact that we, even as, you know, um, post-colonization, what we are doing is to try to getting away from that hurt, from that um that pain that um, the whole situation or our identity has caused out, which kind of makes us um, not acknowledge the bitterness that exists within our history and just want to focus on the positive. And while that's good, it's also um, jeopardizing what our young people will hear and learn of their history as well. It will be isolated from the bad stuff, which is good and at bad same t- bad at the same time. And that's why we see, you know, Maori being taught um, as a subject in our um, curriculum, but not only the good bits, the bad ones as well. And it's really important to acknowledge that. So, yeah, that quote really resonated me with me in that sense. Um, but thank you so much, Abi, for joining in today with me. We're just going to close this episode real quick. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Um, Abi, do you have any last words? Sorry. Thank you for having me on. 
follow me on Instagram. Yes, do that. R A M I I. Yeah. Um, one of the best places to um be engaged with. But anyway, thank you so much, guys. Please keep safe. Um, lockdown or not, you're relevant, your mental health matters. So please reach out for help if you need to. Um, and catch you in the next episode. Thank you so much for joining in. Bye-bye. You were listening to Hear Us Say with Renisha at Otago Access Radio at 105.4 FM Dunedin. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.